three, four. Facts, fibs, and fairy tales! <laughs> Welcome to Facts, Fibs, and Fairy Tales with your factual fairy, Matt Sweet. Hey, kittens. This week, it's just you and me. Um, I'm about to take a cute little hiatus because I'm going international. I'm taking a trip uh, across the world for the next uh, few weeks, and uh, I just don't have time to do any recording. So I'm going to do that, and uh, stay tuned. We're going to be back in the new year. Um, Series 4 is going to be all about people teaching me shit. Um, So stay tuned. I'm having some really interesting guests. In fact, later this evening, I'm recording with uh, one of those episodes. Um, and it will be released in the new year. So stay tuned. What I wanted to do today, though, is I wanted to take a little bit of time um, to just tell you a story about my life. Um, I think I've mentioned it many a time that I foolishly wrote a book, and that's kind of why the podcast exists, because I'm, you know, out there making a brand. We'll see how it goes. Um, And I thought what I would do this evening is uh, share a little bit of what that book is and and what it's about. Um, So I'm going to read you a chapter from that book. Um, There's only really one thing you need to know about what happens in this this chapter before we get started. Um, And uh, essentially, it's the idea of ballroom. Um, I'm sure most of you have heard of it. Um, You've probably heard of Pose or watched Pose or you've seen Paris is Burning. Hopefully some of you have even been to a ball because they're literally the best thing in the universe. Um, And so I was very, very fortunate enough to kind of become a figure in the Toronto ballroom scene. Um, Through kind of a crazy series of events, I ended up becoming the mother of the House of Nuance. And uh, it's something that means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, it's something really special. Anyway... I tell you that ballroom, if you don't know, if you haven't seen Pose or any of the other things, um, it's basically kind of like a competitive dance fashion art thing. Uh, I always have such trouble trying to describe it because it is a competition and essentially there's a runway and there's a bunch of different categories that all require very different skills and you, the competitors get up on the runway, there's a panel of judges. They walk in whatever their category is. They are scored. Generally, it's either you get chopped, which is disqualified, or you get your tens, which means you move on to the battle round where you actually battle against the other competitors in the category. And in the end, someone wins either a cash prize or a trophy or both. And it's amazing. And it's the greatest thing in the universe to me because it's a bit like um, a space where you can literally become whatever you want. Uh, there's a category called fag out, which is <laughs> just go up there and be as sissy and prissy as you like. Um, there's also a category called realness, which I think for me personally, I struggle with, but I, I, I try to appreciate, which is really about passing a gay person uh, or a queer person passing as a heterosexual person and what that looks like and how that works. Um, there's lots of other things. The category I competed in the most during my heyday in ballroom uh, was was bizarre, which is sort of um, fashion and wackiness and haute couture and a garbage fire all wrapped up into one category. Um, anyway, I love ballroom and it's a really special part of my life and this chapter relates to it. So anyway, all of that said, thanks, epic preamble. 
Um, here is an excerpt or a chapter from that book I wrote that will probably never get published, but I remain very proud of it. Uh, the name of the book is called How to... Sorry, there is... The name of the book is There Is No Secret, How to Be a Fucking Unicorn. Um, <laughs> the further away I get from it, the more I want to just rewrite every single part of it, um, and maybe one day I will. But uh, for now, that's what it is. And basically, it started as a bit of a self-help book because people kept telling me how my advice had helped them in their universe. And uh, I was like, I need to fucking cash in on this because I am tired of being poor. Well, surprise twist, I wrote it, thought I could cash in on it, and then they told me I wasn't famous enough. So here we are, you're getting it for free. Anyway, this chapter is chapter 17, and it's called Losing It All, Fuck You, Los Angeles. So here we go. My friend Francisco is an actor. I met him through my friend Will, and we became an inseparable trio that loved to dress up, be ridiculous, guzzle red wine, inhale boxes of chicken balls, and generally live life out loud. Francisco, or Franny as he will be called from here on in, was freshly single when we met. He had just gotten out of a relationship that ended up being pretty toxic like a telenovela. The short version is, gay couple meets straight couple from down the hall, they are best friends, the straight guy and one of the gay guys end up falling in love, a secret affair ensues, discovery, the new couple wants everyone to stay together, Franny says, um, no. <laughs> when he wasn't being a sexy Venezuelan negotiator, he was the bouncy life of the party with all of the jokes. He was also the friend who got me out dancing, especially if there was disco to be found. I remember once blowing bubbles and shaking our asses on the street during a Sunday afternoon tea dance. Just us, Donna Summer, and being as ridiculous as we could be. Franny found himself in the unenviable position of having to mediate between Will and myself when, when we, whenever we disagreed about the House of Nuance, which happened often enough. I'm pretty sure he hated it. Of all my friends, I think Franny is the one who best understands the idea of capturing moments of joy. He knows that we are the authors of our own happiness and works to bring it into the world. Many are the nights that some bar had a poster that had the word disco on it. I would find myself dragged there and suddenly having the best night ever. On the rare occasions that we convinced Will to come with us, three, we three weirdos turned every party we hit. It kind of went like this. Oh, is your bar not doing well? Oh, let us fix that. Is nobody dancing on your dance floor? We've got this. Riddled with judgmental gaze? Oh, we can help you there. One of my favorite Francisco mo moments was at a ball. Up until this night, Franny had resisted walking. He just came and watched and probably got pretty drunk. But this night, this night we had cajoled him enough to introduce his ballroom persona, Chili, to the world. He was nervous, shy, and vibrating. But Franny is nothing if not a professional, so when the category came, he strapped on some pumps, a flowing top for drama, and pumped his little heart down the runway for the category runway. It was a virgin category, which here means you should only walk if you've never walked before, or it's your first year in the scene. My friend Twisted was commentating that night, and he full tilt gagged. He said, this ain't no virgin, over and over in the microphone while Franny pumped up and down. I lost my mind for him, and best of all, so did the rest of the crowd. And after that, Franny caught the ballroom bug. Sometime later, the House of Nuance decided that it was time to take our show on the road. Myself, Will, Franny, and one of our other nuances, Cash, crossed the border to go to a ball in Buffalo, New York. 
Cash, whose real name is the kind of name that gets flagged at American borders, joked the whole drive down that we were definitely going to be pulled over because nobody would buy him riding in a car with three white girls. The real joke came when we were dragged into the long wait, not because of Cash, but because of Will, who had gotten testy with a border guard years ago and now gets flagged every time he crosses. After a charming hour and a half wait, we were released to get to the event. The ball was to be held in the quote-unquote ballroom of the Howard Johnsons. A sentence that I have never really believed I would ever see written down. When did Hojo's start having a ballroom? When we arrived, the parking lot was already starting to fill with ballroom icons, almost like a tailgate party, but way gayer. Cash bailed on us immediately to go be the glorious social butterfly that he is. And the rest of us pulled out our various bags of tricks and started to get ready with a motley crew of looks. I went with a severe, floor-length black coat, a dramatic floral mask glued to my face, and a good attitude. Will was all executive realness, and Franny went with tight everything, heels, and a piece of flowing fabric. When we got to the door of the ball, the man taking cash for tickets looked at the three of us with an air of disbelief. When we said, three tickets please, he said, do you know what this is? I thought that was fair for Will and Franny, but I had fucking flowers glued around my eyes. I thought, surely I must look like I belong. Once we got in, we started on the long wait for it all to begin. The problem with being a punctual person is that balls never begin on time. Usually they start two hours after the posted start time, if not three. We wandered amongst the glittering legends we had all seen on YouTube, kind of terrified but thrilled at the same time. At one point, Jack Mizrahi, a true ballroom legend who runs an immensely popular YouTube channel, interviewed us about who we were and what we were all about. Will and I were shitting ourselves the whole time trying to make sure we knew our history and didn't look like co-opting white assholes. That generally sums up our approach whenever we talk about ballroom to media, with varying success rates. Eventually, the ball got started and the energy started picking up. Realness was called and Will jumped onto the runway. In his perfect suit, he landed in the final battle, which was a huge accomplishment. He didn't take the trophy, but he did shock the room a bit when he stepped out and clearly knew what he was doing. There was a funny moment when the only other white guy in attendance came to speak with us. One of the most instructive parts of Ballroom to me has been getting to experience that feeling of being the other, that thing that people of color experience all the damn time, so when the other white guy came over to talk, we shared a look acknowledging the weirdness of this awesome thing that we do. And around 11.30 in the evening, the hostile hotel staff started harassing the organizers, claiming we all had to be out of the space by midnight. We'd only gone through about three categories, so this wasn't going to fly. On top of which, the organizers were saying their contract stated they had the space until three. The ball kicked into high gear, categories were run as fast as they could, but we didn't get to them all. Eventually, some surly white security guards came to extract us all. It was really tough to believe that this wasn't in some way racially motivated. As we were being evicted, the organizers were waving copies of their contract that clearly showed the later time for the event. And yet there we were, with a hundred or so ballroom denizens in a dark parking lot, with half a ball to get through and nowhere to go. After a bit of lingering, word was passed around that the ball would go on at a bar across town. We hopped in our car and started making the trek there. Now, I don't know if you've spent much time in Buffalo, but it is a city with a few faces. We were leaving the reasonably glossy downtown core to go somewhere else entirely. We were following some other ball attendees, and as we did, the neighborhood took a turn for the worse. Eventually, we stopped on a res residential street with rundown homes on one side and what appeared to be abandoned warehouses on the other. 
Before we got out of the car, Will, Franny, and I looked at each other with a little wildness in our eyes as if to say, are we fucking doing this? But we are nothing if not adventurous, so we got out. So out we got to find the new location. <clears throat> the place we were looking for turned out to be a tiny post-war bungalow that had been converted into a bar. It was small, packed with sweaty humans, and hot as hell. Our first stop was the bathroom, which turned out to be this fluorescent light reclaimed wood panel experience that was both awful and beautiful. We immediately made a photo shoot out of it and got slivers from dragging our bodies on the rough wooden walls. Afterward, we returned to the crush of humanity in that tiny space to wait out until the ball started up again and Franny could finally stomp it out. Hours passed and finally around three in the morning, the time for runway had come. Franny was dying. It had become clear that the level of competition was going to be high. He wanted to puke. But like a goddamn champion, he strapped on his boots and sashayed his tiny Venezuelan body down the cramped space and got chopped. Which is ballroom speak for disqualified. At this point, we were all pretty beat. Cash had vanished and we wanted to start the long drive back to Toronto. We pushed our way outside and started to collect our bearings when something remarkable happened. In attendance that night were many icons and legends of ballroom, one of the most colorful being the icon Selvin. This guy is all the best ballroom in sorry, this guy is in all the best ballroom videos and is one of the most outrageous commentators in the world. This wonderful unicorn slammed open the door to the bar and chased us down on our walk to the car. He grabbed Franny by the arm and dragged him back inside. And the thing about being an icon in ballroom is when you see the judges do something you don't like or something shady, you can declare your status and change it. Selvin had done just that after we had left the room and pulled Franny back inside to battle all the other children who had gotten their tens. Will and I pushed back into the bar just as Franny stepped onto the runway for his first battle. The crowd was heaving. There is nothing a ballroom crowd loves more than drama and trauma. Will grabbed my arm and we shared a quick, is this real, glance. From somewhere deep in the crowd, Cash yelled, NUANCE! And someone else yelled, WHITE GIRL! <laughs> so Will and I started yelling at the top of our lungs over and over, NUANCE! NUANCE! And after we yelled NUANCE, the crowd answered, WHITE GIRL! <laughs> so it went like this, NUANCE! WHITE GIRL! Nuance, white girl. <laughs> and Franny, that whole time, he slayed every competitor. They had him process the girls, which means you walk until you lose. One after another, the girls were left in Franny's dust. In what seemed like moments, we were at the final battle. The chanting stopped, the music blared, and Franny lost. In the face of a loss, you always get to see what people are made of. Franny, being an actor, he has dealt with rejection a time or two. And when we left that night, he was on cloud nine. Having been pulled back to sit all the other walkers, but one, that was a huge accomplishment. Especially for someone who is from the outside of the system and, and was known by nobody in the room. Now, I am not saying that night was what did it, but shortly afterward, Franny started talking seriously about moving to Los Angeles to really give his acting career a proper shot. Months later, there he was on a plane out of my life and into the wilds of America. It was amazing to see him grab life by the balls and chase the dream. That's a huge deal and must have been absolutely terrifying. And it really shook up our little trio. Suddenly Will was thinking about moving as well. He had done the seismic move to Canada and was now itchy to try something new himself. 
And there was a position at his company that became available in Los Angeles, of all places. So just a few months after losing my best friend Franny in the, to the worst place in the United States, I lost my other best friend to it as well. And what do you do when the bottom falls out of your social network? How do you cope when the people who helped you cope are gone? When this all shook down, I had a little experience of moving on professionally. But this was the first time I had to manage moving on in my personal life. There's a sense of permanence about our close relationships that you never really think will end. Um, and of course, I still speak with both Will and Franny, but the distance makes it challenging. It creates gaps in our universe that are hard to bridge. And what I learned about losing them both was that much like when you get laid off, you just have to get the fuck up and keep going. Life is very much a marathon, not a sprint. Shit happens all the time, and often the only thing left to do is get the fuck up and soldier on. When you're stuck in the darkness, that can be the hardest thing in the world. And I won't lie, after Will and Franny left, there were several nights I ate a mountain of nachos in my bed and felt terribly sorry for myself. And it's totally important to feel that shit, but eventually you have to yell at your brain and let it know that it's time to be the goddamned unicorn you are. So do it. Is today a shitty day? Awesome. Tell your brain who the fuck the boss is. Or don't. I'm not your mom. And that was a little bit from my book. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I know it didn't have fucking in it, um, because a lot of the stories I've told on the podcast are other chapters in the book. Um, And I wanted to try something a little bit different. Um, So I know this is going to be a bit of a a shorter little episode, but uh, stay tuned. In the new year, we will be back at it with Series 4 of Facts, Fibs, and Fairy Tales. In the meantime, I am still looking for interesting new guests, especially looking for lesbians. I keep saying it, and no lesbian appears. So if you happen to be a lesbian and you want to tell, talk to me about lesbian fucking, I am here for it. Um, but that's not all I'm happy to learn about any kind of fucking. So if you're out there and you've got a story about dicks or vaginas or buttholes or f- mouths or ear holes or nose holes or, I don't know, maybe if you're just into fucking feet, whatever you're into... I want to hear about it. So reach out to me. I am technically on Twitter. I do have the notifications on my phone that occasionally appear. Um, I'm more active on Instagram, but the best way to get me uh, is definitely factsfibsandfairytales at gmail.com or uh, factfibfairy on Twitter or factsfibsandfairytales on Facebook and Instagram. On that note, have a great holiday. Uh, I hope you get to relax. I hope your family isn't overbearing. And I hope uh, at least one dream comes true. Bye!